What is it? And if uh, and with if you have those, if you have those hard candies, hmm. please oh, unwrap lozenge. them. No, soothing the lozenge. Why don't we start every episode with that? <laughs> but you should get Richard Hester we, to, to record it for you. <gasps> we got to get Wait, Richard Hester to record it. Can is that, that his voice? Uh, it no, was it's on Des. The, it was on the ship. It was Richard. Oh, on the really? ship, it was Richard. Um, okay, that's yeah. good to know. That's a great fun fact. Thank you. I'm I'm ninety nine point seven three two percent sure. Amazing. <laughs> Very specific. Seven three two. That's the new thing. <laughs> I love you, it. You, you can't be specific. What 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 am I doing here, right? No, no, no. It's Amen. fine. No pressure. All right. Yeah. So, okay. should you wish to enjoy a heart candy or soothing lozenge, now would be the perfect time to unwrap it. David! Hey! Hey! How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing good. You doing good? You know me. Doing good. All right, good. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> you know me. We know each other. We're good. You know, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. Always. I'm the only one here. Hey. <laughs> I'm the only one here, so you must be talking to me. But we're also talking to some other people on the Zoom call, you know? Yes, we are soon, and we're really excited. Something Tonight is a wonderful, wonderful episode, or whatever time of yes. day you're listening to this. Yeah, are you ready? This is gonna be good. Ready. <laughs> this is gonna be an interesting one tonight, folks. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Silhouettes JB Podcast, the deepest dive into Jersey Boys that you have probably ever taken in your life and will um, take forever and both the forever show and, and the movie we're very excited and tonight we are actually going back to the cruise who's excited we're going back to see get your sea legs ladies and gentlemen it's gonna be wonderful and and we're going to many many other places tonight get your passport we know it's quarantine but we're you can travel at, with us it's gonna be great yeah we're going to anatevka tonight we're going all the way to 1930s <laughs> Or no, <laughs> wrong time period, 1900s, Tsarist Russia, where even British Israelis get their day. If you know, you know. British Israelis, um, I love this. Well, yeah, well, Chaim Topol, when he was doing, this is not Jersey Boys, I know, but Fiddler, when Chaim Topol, the Topol, when he was doing Fiddler on the Roof, he originated the role of Tevya in London, and he's Israeli, he didn't know a lick of English, he learned English doing the production in England and he so he learned English with a British accent so that's how you end up with a British Israeli in the middle of Tsarist Russia in the 1900s and it's one of the funniest things in the world I love that you know what's so funny well speaking of just learning different languages with different dialects and accents in my Spanish class in high school I so for the record I 
I need to speak fluent Italian. I know a little, not much. But my when own. I was when I was learning Spanish, I, my teacher told me she's like, "You sound like an Italian trying to speak Spanish." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm like, but they're all Mediterranean languages. Like, am I like on the way there? Because my pronunciation was good, but I added a little more to it than I should have. So that's that's that story. We have a very special guest who's going to join us and talk to us about it. So. Let's introduce him. Here we go. We got Evan J. Newman. The J, the middle name, the J. Come on. It's amazing. Evan J. Newman, he's our man from both sides of the stage. Quite the theatrical journey, right? I mean, we were talking to him and we're like, wow, this guy. (laughs) Yes. You're, you're, you're talking like Tommy DeVito does, like just in code. It's like, hey, Tommy DeVito, Belleville, New Jersey, number one in Vegas. Or like, you know, it's N- native son. Native That's son. That's the passcode. Number one in Vegas, 2000. No complete sentences. <laughs> so you see, if you were if you did the show on Broadway, then you didn't know the passcode because native son wasn't on Broadway. Well, well he. He's not with us yet. We have. He's reacting to us. <laughs> no, well, I'm. T- but I'm. But I'm. T- <laughs> if you were in the show on Broadway and you're listening now, you know the passcode, because you didn't know the passcode because you didn't have the passcode in your show. But now you know it. Okay. I, there we yeah, go. Thank you. I don't. It's very. We're very cryptic, and it's up to you to figure it out. Let us know if you do, because we haven't. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm very confused. <laughs> oh, it's totally okay, because so am I. But that's what we're here for. As I was saying, we got Evan J. Newman. You know, we know him as Frankie Valley in the 2.0 cast of Jersey Boys on the Norwegian Cruise Line. He was also the music director for the international tour of American Idiot, the Green Day musical, and associate music director for the national tour of Mamma Mia. Come on. Maron, Mamma Mia. Maron, get those keys playing, man. Get those keys playing. Yes. And I'll I'll just take it from here. Um, that's okay. Uh, so he was an totally assistant okay. to Andrew Lippa, who, of course, we know as a composer for The Addams Family, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and Big Fish. Evan is – Marshall Brickman and Rick Ellis, if you recall, yes. wrote the book. See? Adam's Family, A.O. Full, full circle. Everything comes together. A.O. <laughs> and Evan is a down-to-earth Jersey man with music knowledge and acting chops that complement each other beautifully. So finally, after that crazy intro, please welcome Mr. Evan J. Newman. Oh, hello. Bravo. Bravo. Welcome. <laughs> hey, thank you for that. Thank you for that intro. That was amazing. That was a, that was wild, but we're happy think, you like it. But it's extremely of, that flattering. Was, that was, oh, of course, <laughs> that was one of one of our best ones. Very <laughs> off the cuff, even though, full disclosure, we're reading it right from the computer. But very off the cuff, very you know. Well, we have a script. We try to be as professional as possible. It's our mini teleprompter for us, if you and will. And it's like, it, like Jersey Boys is like a machine, right? We got this machine going on here but we got to make it like it's that's a good point we're trying to make it like a machine (laughs) like a machine yeah we got to keep it off the cuff right like it's like it's first time we're doing it that's very true exactly (laughs) beginner's mind i love it rehearsal rehearing stuff that sal said what (laughs) (laughs) evan what do you think of that joke i'm just watching your shocked face and watching the wheels turn while you're trying to figure out what is happening in front of you. 
and it's it's really it's a nice little exercise in uh human observation on my end so i'm enjoying that <laughs> so why don't you tell us what you've been up to how are you doing and we'll dive into your theatrical journey in general and in jersey boys awesome uh, yeah uh, i'm doing okay you know i've i've been trying to keep as busy as possible given the circumstances uh I spend a lot of time working out, and I play a lot of video games, uh, and I write and arrange, and uh, and actually just had a virtual gig in the city um, with a group called Carol's Kings, which was pretty cool. Uh, Please pre- tell us about Carol's Kings. So Carol's Kings uh, is mostly a guest entertainer show. Most of our work is on cruise ships as guest entertainers, um, but we also have a 90-minute land show that we do, um, and it was... Uh, started by this guy named DJ Butcherelli. Uh, he and Michael Linden were working together at the Music Box uh, as ushers, and they were trying to come up with an idea for a show. And the idea came up, hey, Carol King music. Like, let's do a male trio with Carol King music. So that's what it is. It's a, it's a tribute to Carol King. Um, new arrangements of her hit songs, some that you don't even know she wrote, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, so we had a, a virtual gig on Sunday over Zoom, which is a new experience, but super cool. And don't worry, everybody has been tested. Everybody who was there gets tested every two weeks. Uh, so we knew that it was all going to be safe. It was there were there were five of us in the actual studio and everybody else. The audience was over Zoom. Uh, gotcha. so it was, yeah yeah um, but yeah it's been a, it's a fun gig it's it's the gig I went into after my time uh, on 2.0 to help pay the bills and it's been it's been a great experience I love I love it I love working with the guys um, yeah that's awesome was the gig live the gig was live uh, how and was that because I know? I've done a live stand-up gig before and it is very strange of course like naturally it's going to be different but I wasn't expecting how drastically different it would be so what was your experience well dj hired a sound engineer which was super cool so we had our feed going into the console and jamie was over there mixing live before the feed went into zoom uh so that was wonderful yeah wonderful the weirdest thing was with the, the the audience sings along it's carol king how can you not the audience sings along and every now and again, somebody would forget to un- to mute their mic, so we could hear, but with a delay, the people singing along. Um, okay, but it was really yeah. fun. It was fun. Of course, and, a delay. Yeah, yeah. But then you have like all the boxes, and you can see the people dancing with, with like their family members, and it Aww. was cool, you know, because there were people from all over the country. There were people from California and and Maryland, and you know, so. So, did you guys have everyone thrown up on a screen? Like, so you could see everyone? We actually just had everybody on the laptop screen. Um, it was a it was a condensed show uh, because we had to have the lighting and we, all the wires connected. So everything was in a close proximity. We were pretty close to the laptop in front of us, so we were able to see everybody that way. Uh, DJ took the lead on that. I was behind the piano for a lot of the show. Um, so DJ sort of took the lead uh, with interacting with the people on the screen. But it was, it's really fun uh, to, to just watch people still be entertained in their respective homes. Strange, but fun. Right. You guys, you guys are all playing instruments? Uh, no, just me. Uh, just and you. Okay. we are equipped for a live band. We are equipped for a seven-piece uh, band. Uh, but we also have tracks for venues that don't have the budget or ability to bring in a band. So uh, it's it's a pretty flexible show. 
That's awesome. And the gig was a wedding, right? It was. It was. It, and it's the first wedding we've ever done. Uh, and it was a Jewish wedding. So, uh, yeah, I got to work with the guys on Simintov and Hala Nagila. And it, was, it was tons of fun. Did, did, did they have to work on that? A little bit. A little bit. And we talked about some pronunciation things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if this is appropriate for the podcast, so feel free to cut it. Um, but, you know, for Simintov, one of the guys comes up to me uh, the, mor- the day of our tech rehearsal and he goes, okay, I need to know, is it Simintov or Simintov? I feel like I shouldn't <laughs> be singing semen. Uh, and I was like, no, you, you absolutely should not be singing semen. Uh, it is Simintov. Thank you for checking. <laughs> well, you for, checking. All, for all our Hebrew speakers, you would, you know, you know that Simintov, the Hebrew word, because that's the Yiddish pronunciation, Simen is you know, Yiddish for the Hebrew word siman, which is a sign. Like, it's a, it's a sign. sign. So Can you, you should believe ha- this? Seriously, <laughs> everything goes back to everything. Jersey. Boys. So, siman tov, it's a good sign that it's for good luck. Siman tov, umazel tov. It's a good sign, and it's good luck. You know, I didn't even know that. Mm. Yep. There no you way. go. See? And I just want to <laughs> say something. I think we should normalize – well, this is a highly debated topic. We should normalize using tracks in shows. Ooh. That's what I'm saying. I, I, elaborate, I, please. I'd love to hear – So because you guys have the tracks, right? You guys have the tracks for the times that you can't utilize your live band or you can't even get a, a keyboard or a piano. So you have those fully orchestrated tracks – for you to use it wasn't for me it wasn't until th- three years ago when i started at rutgers that i did my first musical with a live band hmm. not everyone is as fortunate to be able to have live music even if you have the money for it there's so many factors that go into being able to use live music in a show i think it depends uh and i think i think you'd agree uh judging from what from what you're saying i, I think it depends on the tier of the show right like tracks shouldn't shouldn't be used on a broadway show uh, uh you know uh, but if we're talking totally. about if we're talking about like a high school and they don't have yeah, a, a band theater, that can, yeah 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 for sure community theater high school theater from the musician standpoint and even just from a performer and, a, and an audience member standpoint live music does elevate the storytelling uh it has to but yeah i um i once played piano for a high school production of music man i got they hired out they hired out the band not every high school can do that you're right and not every high school then has the students at their disposal that can play the scores so then what do you do you just not do a musical i see what you're saying absolutely i know i started this whole thing (laughs) with a really broad and general (laughs) statement but you're right but a little bit of a hot topic very yeah and but even on broadway and on on tours and stuff they are using pre-recorded stuff to sweeten What's going on? I know in On Your Feet at the end of Act One, a lot of the singers are in the are in the audience and can't really get picked up. So they, I know they do use sweetener vocals mm-hmm. for the end of Act One of On Your Feet. Yeah, it's done um, professionally. Mamma Mia had Ooh. some sweeteners as well. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly because there's like eight thousand vocal parts in abba's music so you know there's only so many people who can be singing at one time so it was never that the sweeteners were 
a stand-in for the cast members. It was that this there, we don't have enough coverage, so gotcha. we got to add. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, I think it really is a, a show by show community by community mm-hmm. basis and like so i'm of course if you can have a band get a band and i would absolutely like if i was running a theater whether it was high school or community theater or i guess lower tier or regional theater i would i would try my best to have the band in the budget like to me that's priority um but of course if it can't happen yeah no one should shit on anybody for not being able to have one or just wanting to use one um, but yeah, of course, I'm, I'm all for a band, but never be mean because that's not what theater is about. <laughs> yeah. And even with Carol's Kings, like when we end up using using the tracks, it's usually because we're in a venue that can't handle a live band. Uh, if we can have it, we have it and we love having it. And especially for me, because I'm, I'm singing from behind the piano for a lot of the show. I love being able to like play off the, the saxophonist or the bassist or the drummer, you know, um, it adds something, but yeah, not not every venue is equipped for it. Even even when we're on ships, uh, when we're on the Norwegian Escape, uh, you know, NCL plug right there. When we're on the Norwegian Escape, we usually perform in the Supper Club. You're not getting a seven piece band in the Supper Club, right? You know, exactly. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for mentioning that because like no matter where you are, there's always a chance that things can't be used. So right. Yeah. And and what's great Gosh. about about Carol's Kings is that DJ has made sure that we can do any combination of bands. So let's say this place is like, well, we can give you a bassist and a drummer. Great. The other five will be tracked and bass and drums will be live. And, yeah, you, you know, if we can only have a horn section and a drummer, we can do that, you know? Right. So. See, that's fun. Like, you can experiment with different different instruments and, and what you want to do. So mixing, that that's a whole other level of musicality. Yeah. You have everything tracked out on Logic where you can be like, okay, we're going to mute this and we're going to play this. Mm-hmm. We're going to mute this. We're going to play this. Okay, and what, that's and cool. like he pans it a certain way so that the band only gets some things. Like the audience won't hear the click track, you know, right? The audience won't hear the voiceover cues because the band just got the music that day. The, the audience won't hear the, okay, retardando, three, two, one, you know, yeah, that sort of stuff. Or however DJs counted them off. I, I haven't listened to them, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Um, yeah, so, so he's really, he's really on top of it. Like talk, talk about being prepared for, for any possible situation. He's thought it all out. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Evan, can you tell us how you just got into music in general and what your, like how, how you studied it? Yeah. So I've been playing piano for as long as I've been acting, which is 24 five years uh we're nearing we're nearing 25 years in actors equity that'll be wow either november or december i can't i can't remember i think it's november you've been Um, equity for 25 years 25 years because i was i was a child actor um i got my equity card uh doing a christmas carol over at madison square garden right Uh, i was in the second year of that show uh when terrence mann was scrooge super cool Nice. Um, Ayo, Terry Mann. And uh, I'll drop another name. Ben Vereen was uh, the Ghost of Christmas present. And Jesse Eisenberg was in it with me when because he was Come he's on. a little bit older, but he was one of the kids in the show as well. Wow. Uh, yeah, we used Do to take the train to together. Him? No, yeah. no. Uh, I, they're, I, I've, I'm still in touch with some of them. Uh, Jesse, when he moved to L.A., uh, we sort of lost touch. He did a couple TV shows out there, and then, you know, life happens. You lose touch. Um, you know, uh, 
I wish I'd kept in touch with him. I love his work. And, you know, we were good friends back then. But, you know, life happens. Uh, but, yeah, so that's when I got my equity card. And I spent a few years uh, on Broadway and on tour. I toured with Beauty and the Beast also, which was cool. I was on the How first was national. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And I – what did we do? We did – I started in Minneapolis. I replaced um, their first tour chip and then did, like, eight, seven, eight weeks in St. Louis, 11 weeks in Detroit, and – eight weeks in dc i think it was Long oh my months. god Pro- wow production production contract oh awesome. my god and that huge set and you know this, the huge set the bottles of champagne uh, and they, they had up. a second set that they would send to the next city so that it could be built by the time we got there while they were still breaking down the old set right uh, I, talk about disney money right i know oh well, how my old god. were you when you played chip i was nine i was nine, nine years okay. old yeah um and then I did I did uh, Christmas Carol, and from there I went to Les Mis, which is the show that made me want to be an actor in the first place. Um, so getting to play go. Gavroche after two years of auditioning was super cool. Um, nice. And while I was doing Les Mis, actually, that's when Anna Kendrick was earning her Tony nomination over at High Society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, biggest regret of my life is not meeting <laughs> her and having her fall <laughs> madly in love with me and, you know, us having just a wonderful life together. Uh, actually, my Mrs. Potts was in High Society with her, Betsy Jocelyn. Um, so mm-hmm. I remember nice. Betsy was like, there's this girl in this show. You absolutely have to meet her. And then I quit the business. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Evan, yeah, seriously, yeah. you're putting it out there. You never know. Like we found, you, well, you like we found each other through Instagram. Who knows what could happen? So, Anna Kendrick, please, if talk, if you're listening, give our, in. give our guy a chance. Just <laughs> I'm a good guy, I promise. Like you know, people tolerate me. It's fine. Oh, stop! He's a nice, he's a nice Jewish boy. A sh- yes, Shana, Shana Punam, hey, you Shana know. Punim. I like it. I like it. Oh, I'll get some Yiddish out there. There you go. Um, always, uh, always. So, so yes. why, why did you leave the business? So I was changing schools. I was going to a new middle school, and um, at the time, at the time, I thought, you know what? I don't. I, I, I did it. I, I loved it. I met some amazing people. But I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. In hindsight, as an adult, knowing what I know now, I was changing schools. I was going to a new middle school uh, because that's what happens in my district. All of the elementary schools get funneled into one middle school or did. Now they have multiple, but got funneled into one middle school. And I didn't want my entire identity to be wrapped around being the Broadway kid. I didn't want to be bullied anymore. Um and so I quit, and I thought, you know what, like, I thought I was going to be a rabbi, maybe, uh, or, or a lawyer, uh, you know. Uh, and, of course, that did not stick with me at all, and I'm back in theater. But, yeah, but I kept taking piano lessons. I got more into it after leaving the business, obviously, because I had more time to put into it. Um, and when I was in college, I went to school over at Cap 21, uh, which is where Michael Longoria went, bringing it back to Jersey Boys. Uh one of my teachers put me up to music direct a student production of Floyd Collins because she knew that I was a piano player. Um, yeah, talk about trial by fire. In 2005, 2006, that was when Jersey Boys opened on Broadway. Was first opening, so, yeah. There you go. Um, hey, yo. there you go. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you're right, everything comes back to Jersey Boys. What's that about? <laughs> always, always. Um, but always. yeah, so that, that got me started on the, the music direction track a little bit. From And that's how I ended up working for Andrew Lippo, right? Because his assistant at the time, Will Van Dyke, 
was about to go on tour with Wicked. He saw Floyd Collins, ran into me at the in the hallways of Cap 21, and went, Andrew Lippett needs a new assistant. Leave your number at the desk. I have to go into class. And like, yeah, yeah. And I turned around because there was a poster of uh, the Wild Party on one of the walls. They did the Wild Party over at Cap 21 for one of the we productions. Brilliant party. score. Brilliant man. Um, and I turn around and I, I, look, I turn to my friend Ada and I'm like, Andrew Lippa? Th- 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 no. No. And yeah, um, Andrew Lippa, great guy. Really like so supportive. Was always so supportive of me. He saw me in, in the weirdest shows just to like be a good person uh, and genuinely loves the arts. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about that man. I learned so much from him. Um, but yeah, so when I graduated college, I mean, you know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm Frankie Valley, right? I'm a, I'm a short guy, uh, you know, and and I looked even younger then than I do now. Uh, so there weren't a lot of roles for me, and I was doing readings and workshops, and I was also music directing readings and workshops. And in 2012, while I was working my data entry job to you know pay the bills, I realized this is this is killing me, um, not literally, obviously, but my soul there i could feel my passion for everything just draining and i don't think i was a particularly fun person to be around because of that um and so i started looking online i was like you know what acting is not paying the bills let's see if i can find some musician work and i found a posting on playville for uh for the national tour of american idiot which was going to open in the uk with 10 weeks they were looking for a music director and of course i immediately thought well this can't be real why would they be posting on Playbill for this? But it was real, and they, they you know, I recorded some videos for them, and I interviewed with the, the music, music director of the First National, who was the AMD on Broadway, Jared Stein. Uh, I interviewed with him, also a CAP alum, uh, and I interviewed with Stephen Gabriel, who is the head of Worklight Productions, and they you know, decided that they would take a, a risk on, on me, that I was the right guy for the gig, and that's sort of how that all snowballed i did american idiot for two years and then that same company put me on mama mia they put me on cinderella um and then i yeah yeah it's it's really cool and i always say that i had the right people put their faith in me at the right time you know um peter dinklage i think is the one who has that quote about never saying that you're you've been lucky that you that you, you know that no you put in the work and the rewards showed or obviously that's not the quote i can't remember it offhand but that's that's the gist of it and i agree with him but i also think i've been lucky in that people put their faith in me when i needed them to put their faith in me uh and it's sort of even even when you didn't know you needed them yes put your faith in you yeah yeah it's it's, i totally i love both of those ideals because yeah, I always say the same thing, too, because I know a lot of us, you know, in, in the entertainment industry have imposter syndrome big time. But I'm totally with Peter Dinklage and you. It's like, it's like no, like, like, believe in yourself. You are putting in the work. You can do this. You have the talent and the skill. You're working at it. Be ha- like, it's like, let it come to you. You know, like, eat, work Absolutely. with it and then also, like, have the faith to let it get there. So it's a mix of, like, you know, it's like in Jersey Boys. It's like, like and luck, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there has to, there has to be, there has to be that little element of, of timing, and and of the universe just working out in the right way of the stars being in alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the, wor- the world's gonna hear that voice. You understand? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's one of the most intimidating parts of Jersey Boys. By the way, like they just keep talking about this voice, this voice, this voice. <laughs> and you're like, I have to 
be that voice. <laughs> yes. Oh no. It's the build up. <laughs> no, but believe in yourself. Like you got it. Oh, it's so cool. But what makes your story so interesting is that you like you're doing two things at once. Like you are music directing and you're acting and that is unheard of for you know for anyone in, in theater so it's just so cool that you were there's able not a lot of people you can there's intersect with people. those things oh, thank you yeah. uh yeah it's been it's been a real growing experience and, and i i believe that being an actor made me a better music director and i believe being a music director has made me a better actor yeah uh for a lot of reasons one just from the logistical standpoint you learn what kind of behaviors you shouldn't bring into a rehearsal room uh, or into an audition room. But you also learn more intimately how to look at the structure of a show and how that can inform your performance. Um, So while I wish I had more success as an actor earlier as in my adult life, I'm really grateful for what I learned from my work as a musician and not for nothing, it gave me the financial stability to be able to come back off of tour after, what, six years and and say, okay, I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to focus on what I need to do. And yeah, I'm going to stress, stress while I watch my savings dwindle. But what else did I tour for except for to be able to do this? Right, exactly. Yeah. Amen. It's wow. just timing is everything. Everything works out the way it's supposed to. And um And everyone remembers it how they need to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. No, but your story is so inspirational because David and I are the same way. Like we have so many things that we want to do, we want to try. But for me, and I think I said this before on the show, like it when I got to New York, I was so I graduated college, I was ready, like I'll do whatever you want, let's do this. And I I wanted to wear different hats and I wanted to get my feet wet in different places but that's not what people want from you in New York they just want you to have one trade that's it and specialize in that um that just makes you more employable um but I I really don't think that's true because I I agree with you where like one thing can help you with the other all the time so oh yeah yeah so thank you for doing what you do because you're living proof that it could work (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, it's nice to hear. And, and I hear you when you talk about imposter syndrome. I mean, a lot of the music directors that I know even now who are brilliant musicians, far better than I could ever hope to be, still have imposter syndrome, still feel a little bit like they're frauds because we're in an industry where we're constantly watching other people be brilliant and wondering, am I as good as that? Or how can I be that good? It's such a, it's such a trap to compare yourself and this is actually something that i try to try to remember that andrew lippa was was talking to me about is fighting that jealousy and just being happy for your peers success uh and that will breed your own success right yeah was, wow. was, did that take a well were you ever like that like were you like did you ever be jealous of other people or were you always more, always really? it's, yeah it's a constant yeah. battle it's mm-hmm. a constant it's battle. so it's 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 the hardest thing i mean like because we can be happy for someone and we can also and and it's not really that we're harboring resentment for them it's more like it's it's anger at ourselves for not pushing ourselves harder faster to get to where we want to go which Um, is is something that's sort of self-imposed because it's i'm sure you pushed yourself just as hard i'm sure i pushed myself just as hard it just the the cards didn't fall in the same way 
Um, you know, I went to school uh, my freshman year with Lady Gaga. You know, we, we we had acting class together. Oh my god! How do you how do you <laughs> yeah. watch her meteoric rise and not you know feel bad about yourself? Yeah, you, you have to work at it. You have to remember when you start having those feelings and you start having those thoughts. Like this isn't this isn't uh, founded in reality. This is my own ego trying to get in the way of what I could be doing. Right. It's um, all ego. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it takes work. And, and it, you're, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have good days. Mm-hmm. But you just have to remember that it takes work. Yeah. Ha, ha. I'll admit, it probably was an ego thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, if there's four guys in your Ringo. <laughs> Better I should spend some time with kids. my kids. <laughs> Hey, hey, kids, come over here. Uh, Oh, man, yeah, a couple kids just run on stage. That'd be so funny. Hey, (laughs) daddy! Just driving the car, like driving his car, like these (laughs) eight-year-olds. Brilliant. No, but I'm I'm very happy that we're talking about this because, honestly, I was experiencing this today. And, but it's, it's, I try when I am comparing myself just like in a very professional way it's like okay so what are they doing can I try this can this push me forward maybe a little bit faster like it's just it's just taking like different approaches and and just seeing if it'll work for you um but of course everything work out when it will work out um so but it it does take it took it takes years to really get there How, how long do you think it took you to finally just start to making peace with everything I don't know that I have. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think I, I'm much more successful at it now. Um, quarantine has tested that a little bit. You know, it's hard to not think because we're we're all how do we how do we move forward when this is over, right? How do how do I continue my career momentum now that it's been put on a forced hold? Um, and then and then I inevitably go to that place of. Well, if I hadn't quit when I was a kid and I just kept working and I was already big, I wouldn't have to worry. It would be there for me, uh, which there's no way to know that that's true. There is no way to know. Um, so so especially now, it's something that I, I try every day to remind myself, one, that everybody's on their own journey, but two, that I have had a lot of success. It may not have led to fame and fortune or awards or or notoriety but i have in well thank you (laughs) yeah yet but in terms of the industry i have been extremely successful and i'm grateful for that and and i worked for that in the same way that yeah yeah and in the same way that that everybody works for it right like i had a teacher one of my tap teachers in college uh we were talking to him about the industry and and he said you have to redefine what success means for you thank Uh, you Yes. Yeah, yeah, it can't. He said some of his favorite gigs were his tours and his regional gigs, and I agree. Some of my favorite gigs that I did were regional, um, yeah. and and they were beautiful productions. And I met some amazing people and had some wonderful, wonderful memories that we made. Um, and so when you when you redefine what success is, when it's not just about Broadway, when it's not just about an academy award or or being the lead in a film uh you know playing against skylar astin uh suddenly you can look at the things that you're doing in a much more positive uh and helpful light yes and it's freeing too yes well for the record you like you yes you are so successful you need awards 
please everyone look at <laughs> look at him and Newman. he's the man um no but well, you're so you. right and and we nick jamard opened our eyes to this you know just the whole broadway or bust mentality and i'm so happy that i learned that this year like just from people in the industry because i i would always think that regional theaters would be like a little more fun or just more freeing there's more creative freedom trying different things and there's nothing wrong with it you know because not everyone can be in new york not everyone wants to be in new york that's something that i learned too and it's like there are different places there's an entire world out there that also needs entertainment and to just go for it and there there are there are people who Mm -hmm. spend their lives in the chicago theater scene for example where they do incredible work and there was this woman when I was mus- uh, assistant music directing up at Weston Playhouse in Vermont who every summer she was there doing the shows. Uh, Sam Lloyd Jr. was up there doing the shows there like every every summer. And you create this life for yourself while still doing what you love, which is making incredible art that people want to and need to see. I mean, isn't that why we do it, right? Let's forget about money. Let's forget about fame. Like we do it because we want to, communicate with people we want to move people we want to tell stories exactly Uh, it has to come down to that and if it doesn't then that'll catch up with you i think eventually absolutely Um, but let's let's talk about jersey boys so so why um does this story like what what does this story mean to you and what does it mean for you to tell it like as so i one of the things that i talk about a lot is that i grew up with this music um you know, when whenever we were driving into the city or coming home from it, my my mother would have on the car radio New Jersey 101.5, which was the oldies station. Light yeah. FM. <laughs> Everybody's got it, right? Everybody's got that that oldies station. And you know, now now I'm getting a little hurt because my the music that was in my youth that was popular in my youth is being played on the oldies station, and that's a little weird. But um, <laughs> you know, it's fine. But uh, yeah, so I I grew up listening to all of this stuff so when i first saw the show it, it immediately you know after you have that little subversive moment with uh say and you're like what did i walk into and silhouette starts and you breathe that sigh of relief and that oh my god this is what i'm here for um you know so silhouette i'm so sorry to interrupt yeah. no please i might be the only one who wasn't kicked in the stomach by that by say into into silhouette which is shocking to me everyone we've talked to has been like i went to see the show and i'm like wait am i in the right theater and i i i almost feel left out (laughs) as a part of this experience again i didn't mean to interrupt no no. i just so i didn't okay here's my dirty little secret uh i didn't want to see the show I was like, oh, it's a jukebox musical. Who needs a jukebox musical? You know, yeah. uh, I had Screw already those. seen Mamma Mia, which is a ton of fun, but it's also a jukebox musical. And I was like, you know, uh, and and everybody goes through this phase in college and some grow out of it where we're, we're a little bit pretentious about theater. Uh, I'll admit it. I was a little bit pretentious about theater or a lot of bit pretentious about theater. Uh, you know, so I didn't want to see the show, but I took a master class with Michael Cassara through school. Uh, and he said to me after, I don't remember what I sang for my first audition, but, uh, for the first class, he, he said, have you seen Jersey boys? You're perfect for Frankie Valley. And I went, well, I guess I'm going to see Jersey boys this weekend. And so I did. And say Suara La started and it wasn't, I was, am I in the wrong theater? It was, oh God, see, it's a jukebox music. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, shit. <laughs> like, this is what I signed up for for the next two and a half hours. God. Like, what is this nonsense? And so for me, it wasn't really this. It wasn't confusion. It was more confirmation of what I knew I was walking into. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> well, so, well, and, do you see it as still as a jukebox musical or as a bio oh, musical or both? Specifically, just from like a dictionary standpoint or an encyclopedic standpoint, yeah, it's a jukebox musical, right? Because the songs were popular before they were in the show. But it is also a bio-musical, and, and the script, and I think you've said this on other episodes, the script can stand on its own. And because of that, it's not like any other jukebox musical. It's, it's, it, and it doesn't deserve, it deserves its own place in the, in the genre because of that because uh rick and marshall i I, i'm on a first name basis with them apparently uh put together this incredible book that has so much depth and and heart and 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 you don't normally see that when you just take a bunch of songs that were hits and put them into a show because people want to hear them you know that's not the vibe that this show gives as you well know or we wouldn't love it as much as we do um so yeah i i think i think my mind was very much blown and and changed uh, after that. And that is one of the reasons why uh, I try not to give in to my preconceived notions now, is specifically my experience with seeing Jersey Boys. Because, God, what would I have missed if I had just stayed stubborn about it? Like, oh, Michael Cassara, what do you know? First of all, he's brilliant, so that's what he knows. <laughs> but, you know. And I just, I fell in love with the show, yeah. you know, like everybody does. And, and what does it mean to play Frankie? I mean, it means the world you know it's something that i that took me 10 years to uh similar to michael Ten years. <laughs> it did um and and it took a lot of work and i, I studied with katie agresta throughout like the years of auditioning not not consistently because i was on the road a lot and you know i'm poor uh but but i studied with her when i could and i put in the work and and i i took master classes with mary and and richard and um but but it's such how often does a five foot six kid get to play a role like this that has so such a story to tell um and that's the thing like there are so many reasons why i do what i do but a big part of it is not necessarily about being like front and center on stage but getting to live out these lives of real characters fictional characters that experience these things that in our normal lives we don't get to experience uh and Frankie has such a rich, rich character uh, arc. And and really, you just run the gamut of, of emotions, of, of adrenaline. Uh, and you get to dance a little bit. You get to do some jazz splits. And the Frankie yeah. splits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, we, we, don't, we don't get to play those roles often. They, they don't come along. Even, even for, for leading men, they don't come along that often. That, that there's a role this this rich in 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 I can't think of the word I'm trying to use, but a role this rich. I think we're just gonna take a little break right now. Um, thank you very much for listening. We'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> we're back. Silhouettes JB podcast Underscore. before the break. Underscore exactly. Before the break, we were talking about, you know, how he first his the early years 
yeah. early years <laughs> of Evan J. Newman with the show um, and how he um, David is, is beating me hard with the quotes this episode. I'm usually like we're usually at least half yeah. and half or like, I like half try half, to beat you to it. You're just, yeah, I'm just I'm missing them. I don't know why. You know what? It's like. I'm drawing from your energy. Oh, thank you. Know, you. Thank you very much. Energia. Um, <laughs> Wait, one more thing. I'm so sorry. I, I just realized this. So with our Instagram handle, Silhouettes JV Podcast underscore, 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 like underscoring, I just realized like that. Ron cool. Melrose. <laughs> like it's genius that he is. Dedicated to you. Oh, yes, um, but continue. I apologize for interrupting. No, totally okay. Um, so – you talk. He was talking about how you you also had a ten year tenure journey, if you will. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I was taking. This was back in college. This was my senior year. Uh, we took these master classes uh, with a bunch of different casting directors, and Michael Cassara was teaching this one master class with us. I don't remember what I sang the first time I met with him, but afterward he was looking at my resume it said that i have a strong falsetto and he said you know what have you seen jersey boys and i had not uh, and he said you'd be perfect for frankie valley you gotta go see it look into it so of course what did i do that weekend i went to see it i got the standing room tickets and i i saw it in my friend sarah uh this was also the day that i got my headshots done for preparing for graduation uh and that night I fell in love with this show, as we all do, and I fell in love with the role. And also, what an honor that somebody would look at you at, at your senior year of college and say, hey, you should play this role. Like, okay, great. Thanks, Michael. Uh, so so for my next class with him, I brought in Big Girls Don't Cry and My Eyes Adored You. And I had known Big Girls Don't Cry, who doesn't, but I didn't know My Eyes Adored You. And he said, did you learn these songs this weekend for this and i said well yeah you told me that i should play the role so I, you know i looked into it and because of that because of that he called mary sugarman and he got me my first appointment to play frankie or to Come audition for, for frankie slash joey or joey slash frankie whichever you want to say uh which is super cool and, and really wow. generous of him to go out on a limb like that uh so i went in you know and i did the sides the the they sent out the the huge packet of the 24 26 pages whatever it is uh i brought in my song which was young girl uh before i knew that young girl was overdone for jersey boys auditions and i did that i did the pizza scene they did some vocalese with me and they looked at me and they said you know what we really like you you're great for this role you're just so young and that was true uh so <laughs> So, he just so did John Mulaney, everybody. He just, oh my God. That was. You know, like a liar. Oh my. Like a liar. Uh, so they said, you know, we're going to call you back in a couple of years. We'll see where things are. And I, I remember specifically Richard looked at me. Richard Hester looked at me and he just said, we're not going anywhere. So we'll see you in a couple of years. Uh, and true to their word, they called me back in a couple of years. That time around, I think I sang, hey, they're lonely girl. Um and I read one of the Joey scenes with Mary Sugarman, uh, one of the Joey Tommy scenes, and I read probably the pizza scene again with Mary and Frankie's last monologue of the show. One, she's a great scene partner. Oh, my huh? God. She's such a good scene partner. Uh -huh. One of the most fun times I've had in an audition. Uh, 
and it's still just a great memory reading those scenes with Mary Sugarman. What fun. How often do you get to read a scene with the casting director? Uh, super cool. Super cool. Um, and by that point, I had seen... God, I must have seen the show three times maybe by that point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Repeat attenders. I, saw, I love it. I love it. I saw Michael Longoria twice. He was my first Frankie. Um, the first two-show Frankie. Yeah, and that voice... That voice, voice coming voice. out of Michael Longoria. Have you seen the U.S. Open video? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. So, so um, they love performing at tennis tournaments. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, that's true. The, the Australian cast they do that fabulous. Um, they did that fabulous performance at um, the Australian Open, but um, it's the original. So at the U.S. Open, um, Michael Longoria plus Bobby Spencer. Christian Hoff, Daniel Reichard, they sang um, the the press packet, the mm. press performance. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's amazing. You might be able to help me with this, and then I'll, I, I keep getting off track, but you might be able to help me with this. Back in those days, Michael Longoria had on his website a video of him, uh, and I want to say, I want to say Christian J., uh, J. Robert Spencer and, and Bobby, is, is that right? I don't remember. Um, at doing this thing, Theater Under the Stars, where they sang a Jersey Boys arrangement of All I Ask of You. And it's amazing, wow. and I'm obsessed with it, and I can't find it anymore. He took it off his website. It's like it never happened. I, I have heard of that performance, and I knew I know it exists. I will scour the web. I... And we will find that. I would really appreciate that. I was a little bit of a Michael Longoria fanboy for a while because that voice just blows my mind. Uh, And he pulled so many video clips off of his website. And when that when they disappeared, it hurt me. It hurt me because I loved listening to him. Uh, And of course, it also lended that little bit of like, I can't who can sing like this? You know, he's he's so unique. His tone and his vowels are so wonderful so piercing. piercing but pure um yes and of course it wasn't until i got a little older that i realized don't try to sound like him sound like you they're gonna they, if you have the range and you know it's better to to listen to frankie the actual frankie's tone and figure out how you can make that match your voice or your voice match that as opposed to trying to sound like somebody else trying to sound like somebody else trying to sound like frankie um took me a little little bit longer to to get out of the mindset of i need to give them what they already have as opposed to, I need to give them what I can bring. Uh, but that's where I am now. Um, that's another thing that came from being on the other side of the table, right? It was seeing the difference between somebody trying to be somebody else and somebody showing you what they can bring to the role. Uh, that's not You can think about it intellectually, but when you see it in action, it, it changes things. And nothing came of that one, but I was friends with the accompanist in the room. I had worked with her before. And so I texted her and I said, hey, you know, I thought it went really well, but I haven't heard anything. And at this point, you know, I'm starting to lose a little bit of hope. And I asked her if she had any idea what they thought of me. And all that she said was, listen, I don't know much. You know, they don't they didn't really talk to me about it. But I do know that they really liked your read. That's all that I can offer. So, yeah, that's a great compliment. And that's like wonderful news, but still not happening. You really want to play the role. Um Anyway, as I'm as I'm music directing and on tour, I'm in and out of town. I go to as many open calls as I can uh, while still doing the music directing, and it never really worked out for God knows what reason. I, I tried so many different audition songs. I, I I tried "See You in September" once, and I just 
kicked my microphone. Uh, I sang See You in September once. I can't remember what else I tried. Um, and then when I finally got off tour from a show called The Simon and Garfunkel Story, uh, I took a class with Bob Klein. He does this class uh, at least a few times a year where he'll work on a few songs with you. And then at the end of the month, you'll meet with an agent that he brings in. And this agent says to me, hey, do you have any Frankie Valley in your book? Which I did not because it's right for Jersey Boys and it's right for Jersey Boys. Um, but what I did, because he, he says, I really love Sherry. I would have loved to hear you sing that. So the next day I videotape myself singing Sherry. I, I you know, get a professional recording of it done. I videotape it and I send it off to the agent. But while I'm editing it, my girlfriend at the time, Kylie, uh, still one of my best friends, took an Instagram story of me editing the video and posted it uh, on her Instagram. Now, she gets this message from our friend Betsy, uh, who's married to our friend Ian, who works for Norwegian Creative Studios. Uh, I didn't even know it was on ships at this point. And Betsy texts Kylie and just says, that Instagram story is incredible. Evan needs to audition. Uh, they're casting 2.0 soon. So here's the info for casting. He should email them now off of an instagram story uh i get this audition uh and and that's how i ended up in the room uh for the round of auditions that i finally booked the show um and so i went in uh when the audition finally happened and you know you went through the whole spiel but it, it's a truncated process for the ship so you go in, you do your first song. This time I sang Ronnie, which is the only one of their greatest hits that isn't in the show. Uh, and that was a recommendation from Russell Fisher. So mm -hmm. when this, Ayo, Russell and I go Russell. way back, like back to high school Our choir. Our boy Russell. Um, wow. Yeah, he's amazing. He's uh, What a voice on that one, too. Uh, and he, uh, when, when this audition came up, I was like, this is it. This is the shot. This is the one. And so I reached out to Russell. I'm like, can I pay you to coach me? And he coached me for two hours. We went through the sides. He coached me. He, he, he recommended Ronnie. Uh, we talked a little bit about how to bring in the, the musicality of Moody's Mood. Because, as you know, that's one of the songs that you have to sing for the audition. Um, and it's a jazz solo that lyrics were put over. So, like, how do you bring that into the performance? We talked about that. But we also talked about what you do with yourself in the audition because like we're we're actors right we're trained to like act a song but when you're acting when, when you're coming in for jersey boys especially as frankie you just you stand and you plant and you sing and you feel the groove and that's the song um and i think part of it in my early auditions was that i was just doing way too much so yeah so i coached with russell i went in i sang the song i did the pizza scene did some vocalese they brought me back the next day i'm very fortunate that i knew the sides so well that i like when they sent them out for the callbacks, I didn't have to worry about it. So I was like, I know this. I already know this. I'm going to look it over. I'm going to do my homework, but I don't have anything new to learn. And that is fantastic. Um, but yeah, so the next day we did the, we, we danced. I, uh, I did the, uh, the, the harmony workshop that they do with everybody for let's hang on. And then they kept two of us. I love yeah. That. Oh, the harmony workshop is so much fun. So much fun. Um, and of course they kept bringing the key higher and higher and you're standing there singing the Frankie <laughs> line. Like, really? No, really? Wait, no, really? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and they had me. Really, yeah, bro? Re really, bro? Really? We're going to do that? Uh, but, yeah, so we danced with Danny, and Danny's, like, Danny's so much fun and also so brilliant. And uh, We've heard so many amazing things about Danny oh, Austin. Oh, he's great. And he gets yeah. what he wants out of you. He will right. get what he wants. And it, 
That's what it everyone can be intimidating, uh, you know. But he also has just the the best heart. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he's he's a professional. He's he's very strong and assertive in the room. But he also, you can tell, he believes in you, and he's pushing you so hard because he knows you can do it, uh, which is really cool. And after the the Joe Pesci hip hop auditions, because Joe Pesci, as you know, does say Soiree La. Uh, after that, we all went into the hallway, and they decided to keep two of us uh, out of the whole group of possible Frankies. And I turned to the guy who who they kept with me, and I'm like, "They're gonna make us do the splits. This is this is what <laughs> this is coming. This is happening. This is happening. They're gonna make us do the splits." And he goes, "Sorry, the splits." Uh, so, oh, he didn't. Yeah. Even so know. I showed him a video. We started. We we actually like started working on it together and being like, "Wait, how are you?" Like we started talking it out together, which is really cool. Uh, and I think that's one of those things that only happens with Jersey Boys is like that give and take uh, of people who are competing for the same role. It's really cool. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's that's the audition that finally got me the job. It, we we had to wait until the next day to do our 45-minute workshop with Richard uh, because they were running behind with all the other sides, which is fine because at that point I was exhausted and needed to stretch from the stretching of the splits. But like the, the cool thing with the splits too, uh, which I wasn't expecting, it wasn't just show me your jazz splits. Danny broke it down with us and he was like, this is just to see what will be possible in the rehearsal room. So don't worry about being perfect with it right now. We're just going to work. And something about that takes so much pressure off because you hear all the time, right? That in an audition, they want to see who they're going to be working with, not necessarily what the finished product is. But you don't believe it. So to actually get that experience with somebody like Danny Austin being like, literally, okay, grab my hands. Just hold my hands. Great. Now I want you to press off off the floor and try to reach for my hands. That's You're falling too far back, so try to reach for my hands. And like, he That's actually so took the time. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he took the time. And that might not be necessarily what everybody needs for the splits, but it's what I needed. Um, and the like something about that just changes the energy of the room, um, which I love. So, yeah, I, I, I think I got the offer. I was in a rehearsal for a show I was music directing uh, that I also uh, wrote some of the songs for. Uh, when I got the email with the offer, uh, which was super cool. And it was months in advance of when we were supposed to leave. But, um, but yeah, and, and then it just sort of all finally clicked after a long journey. Um, and a little bit of an Easter egg. My, the reader for, for those auditions with Richard uh, at the very end was Frank Galasso, who uh, is a former Jersey boy uh, and also was in the band Dream Street. And yes! that's actually how I know him because when, when I was a kid, they did this month long workshop with eight, eight different kids for dream street. And I was one of the eight before they cut it down to five. So that's how wow. I knew Frank, uh, which I didn't, I didn't make the connection until getting home that night. I was like, that's how I know him. I couldn't figure out how I knew him the entire time. And then I'm like trying to go to sleep the next night. I'm like, it's Frank, it's Frank. <laughs> anyway, and it's that's uh, what I think is really important um, for your listeners and for any aspiring actors is once I did get the role, I made it a point to call Michael Cassara because this show wouldn't have even been on my radar without him. Uh, and not only that, it really did mean so much that at, at such a young age, this 
wonderful casting director saw something in me and, and said, in so many words, I believe in you. Um, and I think it's important that as artists, we remember that. We remember the people who believed in us. So I called Michael, and it's 10 years later at this point. I call Michael, and I say, listen, I'm I'm going to be going out as Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys. Um, and you are the one who first put that on my radar. This wouldn't be happening if you hadn't done that, if you hadn't stuck your neck out for me with Mary Sugarman, if you hadn't encouraged me to do this. Um, so thank you. And... And it's funny because he was like, you know what? I had forgotten all about that, but thank you for calling. And like, we have to remember, right, that we're all humans in this industry. Um, the ca the casting directors want you to succeed and they are artists just like we are. A and if we can remember that, then I think we're all set up for success. Um, but yeah, Michael, if you end up listening to this, I mean, it, uh, just know that it still means the world to me that, that you saw this little five foot six nebishy college kid and saw something and said and took the time to say I believe in you because there are those teachers who for whatever reason will make you feel like shit about yourself and then there are teachers like Michael who will make you feel great and and let you know that you do have a place in this industry amen beautiful and even in times where we don't even realize that we need it from them you know yeah yeah and that meant that it just meant a lot because yeah there was there was a different casting director who i will not name who came in during that series of master classes my senior year who made me feel like i should quit um which in hindsight talking to people about their experiences with said casting director seems to be more of an ego thing on that person's end always uh, always mm -hmm. always <sighs> so that's my crazy, convoluted, long audition story. No, not at all. <laughs> that is exactly what we wanted to hear. That's amazing. And and with with the Instagram story too. Like that's that's. Crazy. It's nuts, right? And it, and it just it, I've made the mistake a number of times, or fallen into the trap a number of times of losing hope. It happened when I was uh, when I was auditioning for Les Mis. It took me two years as a kid to get into Les Mis, which actor time isn't a lot, but kid time is a lot. And by like, I was ready to give up. I didn't think it was going to happen for me. And the more the Maurice on my tour with Beauty and the Beast said to me, "He's like, this was a role that I really wanted. It took me forever to get. You cannot give up. Keep working. It'll happen." And that stuck with me. And Les Mis finally ended up happening. Jersey Boys, I fell into that trap for a number of reasons. One, because I was also struggling with, can I have a career as an actor, or should I just stick with music? Um, there's a great benefit to having that career as a musician, but it also made it easy for me to not pursue acting the way that I wish I had. Um, and so for that reason, I didn't know if Jersey Boys was ever going to come to fruition. Uh, and it just goes to show you, like, you, it's, it's all in the timing. It's all in the timing. Don't fall into that trap where, where you convince yourself to give up. Just keep working because you have a place in this industry and you have a voice to add or a script to add or whatever yes. you feel you have to add, do it. Steve Martin said the same thing in the trailer for his masterclass. Like th that was the most impactful part for me. He just said, there's room for you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not, someone's got to do it, you know, why not you? You have, you have the talent, the nerve and 
you're willing to be coached and you know that you don't know everything, but you're a sponge as much as you can be, you can rule the world. In the words of Andrew Lloyd Webber, strange as it seems, there's been a run of crazy dreams. Exactly. But a man who can interpret could go far. Can be can become a star. <laughs> can be famous. Can be can a be big, a big success. <laughs> that was Shout my out. best child actor impersonation. That was beautiful. Shout out to Jessica Voss <laughs> for slaying that song at the uh, concert. Oh, Everything she does you. is brilliant. It's so cool. She does. And look she at does her story rip. with Jessica Voss. A star. It's amazing. Oh, her story. Like working yeah. on Wall Street to Broadway. Come on. And she's a fantastic human. I, she fantastic. seems insane. She's I, so she's so nice. She's so sweet. She's so giving. Yeah. Um, the good insane, not the bad insane. I'm like, oh, she sounds exactly. insane. I, like, amazing. <laughs> I, I've, I've never bought a gift for, like, a celebrity mm. or someone who, you know, has that status in the Broadway community either. But she, she loves seltzer. And – She's um. Th- there was I think th- this, there was a shirt she posted about on her Instagram that she really wanted. It had to do with seltzer. I think like do you even seltz <laughs> or something like that. So I bought it for her, and I wasn't sure if anyone had gotten it for her either. But I was like, I want to, I want to give her that shirt. You know, she was she was playing Alphaba on Broadway at the time. Um. So actually, the night that I saw Ain't Too Proud, I booked it after the show, and I ran to the Gershwin to the stage door to get to the front of the barricades at the stage door and wicked had just let out when i got to the gershwin so i got to the front um and uh she's such a sweetheart i had already begun my weight loss journey by the time i we got to that point in time and she was like oh my god david you look great keep doing what you're doing and i was like thank you so much jessica (laughs) um and i gave her the shirt she loved it and um but that's my tangent. Love- you know, it's those it's those little things that I hope we all remember is that we're all human. Um, yeah. I saw Mandy Patinkin in concert with my father in Philadelphia while I was still in college. Um, and I'll tell you something. I learned so much watching his performance in uh, in the video of Sunday in the Park with George. It's it's a masterclass of its own. So um, good. And and I we we waited for him at the stage door after his concert, and when I introduced myself, I can't remember what I said. Like I'm an actor too. I'm in school for acting or something. But I told him how much I had learned watching watching him. And he says to me, he just says, "Well, I'm sure we're gonna work together one day." Well, okay, bullshit. Like you don't know me. Like you don't know if I'm terrible. But like just saying something like that means so much. Means so much. And and whether or not he meant it. It felt from the heart, and, and, it, and it was that. It was that you have something to give. There's room for you. It was that same kind of thing. And we have to remember that as artists because once we forget it, I think we lose some of the soul of what we do. Putting it out in the world, Evan J. Newman will be working with Manny Patinkin one day. Manifest. Indeed. I hope so. Manifest. I hope so. He's, he's brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. And he still sounds great. Uh, that instrument. Ah. Uh. Mandy. So clean, so clean. Yeah. Um, class of 2013. That was what everyone said. Like so fresh, so clean. Class of 2013. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm class of COVID 19. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> 
Woof. Big woof. Big woof. Big woof. That's, that hurts. That's that the hurts. one. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> yeah, Davina and I also say, I, I started saying that all the time. Like, whenever something was solid, I'm like, oh, that's the one. That's the one. There you go. That's the one. It's like, and, that's the and one. We, that's the one. So it's it's evolved the saying. It has. It's evolved the way the way it's the way it's said. And um, can you talk about um, the moment in um, right before um, – I can see what's that song? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm. I Hope can it's seventeen. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, there, there's that moment. Um, you, you, you were describing how um, everyone's leaving, but then Frankie's like, "Oh my god, we just got to keep going. Got to keep mm-hmm. going." Can you talk? Can you talk about that? Richard Hester and I worked a bunch on the pacing of this monologue in particular uh, for a lot of reasons. One, on the ship, everything's a little bit truncated, so all the beats are there, but it's even more arduous to get the pacing right um but the real thing about that monologue right is he starts off he's got his moment where he says um you listen to tommy he'll tell you we were real pals partners from the get-go uh but what really happened was uh, he was paying uh, he was paying me 12 bucks a night when he was re- when he was getting 150 what the hell that's tommy and it's this pacing of like you start off you're just telling the story you're telling oh my god tommy really screwed me you get worked up you get worked up oh nope 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 keep it cool but Nick, Nick really, the, the one that really gets me is Nick, right? And, and you start telling that story, and then you start getting worked up again, and you get worked up, and you get, and nope, nope, got to go record this song right now. Uh, you know, and, and it's that. It's that give and take, that that swelling of emotions. And, and yes, the just got to keep going, got to keep going. Everyone's leaving, but I got to keep going. Um, that you really feel, and part of that's in the book, part of that's in the underscoring, part of that's in just getting to sing these amazing songs and, and Des's staging and, and Sergio's choreography. Um, yeah, the swelling yeah. of emotions. Thank you for Tommy, saying that. Tommy talks about being fucked five ways from Sunday, but Frankie's being pulled all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it, but it's, it's also, it's all he loves and it's all he knows. It's not all he loves, he loves his family and, like, you know, but you know, I mean, it's all he knows, it's who he is, is music and performing and, and touring and it's also the touring is once bob leaves and and this sticks to writing and producing the touring is what frankie can contribute to the partnership uh you know he owes that he feels he owes that to bob uh because that's how he's gonna help pay off the debt that's how he's gonna contribute um but it's funny because you can there's this shift and it it happens in the script and it happens in the underscoring um as soon as bob leaves and frankie makes the decision to let him go um his tone changes completely that's when he goes into i'm not so hot for the road anymore and he pulls out that pack of cigarettes and he he quotes uh the song uh what is it Every, everybody, um everybody, everybody knows, knows your name. name i was like that's yeah. is that what it's actually called or am i yeah. making that up yeah i've listened to it no like it's not cheers <laughs> Um, you know, and, and suddenly there's this massive tone shift and, and you feel it, you feel for the rest of the show, that monologue that he has at the end, uh, the chase and the music trying to get home. You can feel it from that moment on. He's trying to get back to that feeling he had when it was him and his brothers on the road. Right. Of course. Wow. That opened my eyes to so many, so many points. Um, well, so we love that. Well, just I don't know if that answered your question, by yes, the way. I just like went off course. on a tangent. And that opened up all these doors. <laughs> so, well, so when you say that, like, that's like when there's a tonal shift, um, and he wants to get back, it's kind of 
similar to Nick. Because um, as we all know, we have a, a soft spot for Nick's Deep character. love. Um, and so, but, and he, he says, um, like, it just came out of my mouth. And then with Frankie, it the was... The lights. Oh, my God. Wait. Mm-hmm. The light shifts. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want anybody else involved in our future except me and Frankie. And then the light shift. He looks to Nick. Looks to the audience. Hey, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> you know. Oh, sorry for my voice no, crack. No, but. Yeah, and then frankly, like I'm not so hot for the road anymore. So it, it's it's the it's the anymore line that kind of gets you. But um, the anymore line. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, Shit. And Evan, with what you were saying, just about um, because it's like, all right, like I'm getting heated, but no, I gotta take it down. Like that happens to so many people. Like everybody mm-hmm. has to go through that thing. Because it's going back to Joey too. It's like, hey, Joey, don't get overexcited, huh? You know, it's the same yeah. same thing. And like you have work to do, and everyone feels like they owe somebody something. You're absolutely right, but it, Frank- it's so hard to live with that pressure. But Frankie did it. Oh yeah. And the thing is, uh, part of that, too, is that Frankie is nothing if not a consummate professional. Um, Des came on the ship uh, during our install, and one of the notes that he and Richard and Danny gave everybody was like, these seasons, these are these are guys from Jersey, right? They're 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 they like their music. They, they they're they're driven, but they're also not professional perfectionist dancers. Um and I went up to Richard and, and Des after that, and, and you know, because they were trying to get people to bring in that Jersey personality into the dancing, as opposed to just gotta get the steps right. Um, and I went to Richard and Danny after, and, and and Des after that, and I said, "Listen, I'm having trouble reconciling that note with Frankie's drive and work ethic, because that is a big part of the character, especially." Uh, in the younger days, but even going on to when he tours until he's 90. He's not 90 yet, but, you know, uh, it, a big part of the character is his is his work ethic. And I He's the only one wearing a black suit. He is the only one wearing a black mm-hmm. suit. Um, and, <laughs> Did and, you just yes. realize that now? <laughs> just realize yes, that. See? There you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, I, I went up to Des and Richard. I'm like, I can't reconcile this. And they're like, you don't have to. That doesn't apply to you. Frankie is a consummate professional and he is always going to try to do the best job possible, um, which is great. And, and that that alone informs so much about the character and those moments where he's like, I'm getting I'm this pisses me off. So, nope, it can't. I have to go record this song, you know. Um, oh my, even in the younger days, like when Tommy brought him on stage, he was so unprepared. He was like, oh, my God. I mean, like, this is everything that I've ever wanted, but I'm so unprepared. So he's like, I can't give you. And then he turns away, right? And then Tommy pushes him back into the microphone. But then you get to there, – there's like two levels of transitions here. You get to Sunday kind of love, not in the church, which that's not even – that's not in the show, right? In the cruise. Oh, no. The, the church is in there. Uh, okay. It's, Sorry. It's, it's, it's shortened. It's, it's truncated. But right. It's in there. Okay, so so then so, but so I'm talking about Sunday kind of love at ba- back at the club. Mm. He's he's wearing that gray suit, right? Uh, what did we have it on the ship? Because we had to because co- some costume changes I know, got the cut. Costumes, right? Everything changed a little bit. What was it on the? Yeah, gray, gray. Yes, it was it was that gray suit, and he's he's smiling. He's got that poise, but then when he sings Moody's mood, he's got that. Hey, I'm here. 
I'm going to sing your face off and I'm going to do it confidently. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is – oh, my God. <laughs> this is so amazing. He's got wow. such a character arc. Uh, yeah. The crazy thing about the ship is, like, you got to take this two-and-a-half-hour musical, put it into an hour 45, and you've also cut the intermission. So you're just like once, – once Frankie enters that stage, it's a bat out of hell. Uh, especially in the early years, Frankie grows up real quick on the ship. And one of one of the reasons why I really am excited for the opportunity to go back is that I want to dive into that a little bit more. You know, things like Frankie's Frankie it, it grew up. You know, you, you you always make eye contact, you always act confidently. But also in the beginning of the show, he's a kid. He's a kid. How many of us can really authentically be that confident as a kid so especially when tommy's smacking you around and playing his little card game tricks with you um and that's one of the things that i really want to play with is is how to to play with eye contact to let the age come out a little bit more um because i do believe that frankie and i did this in, in, in when i was doing the show i do believe that frankie is maintaining con- eye contact with tommy but what other ways can we allow tommy to own that conversation own that dynamic because he does for a long time until tommy owns the dynamic until frankie stands up for him when it comes to putting bob in the group um and so how can how how can i as an actor assist that storytelling or do i have to because the script does so much of the work for you well but the fact that you're trying to make it even more accentuated is what makes you wonderful and that's why I, I i can't wait to see you perform as frankie because i i can tell you have a very different approach to it and so with your your music knowledge and everything is there a particular part of the underscoring that moves you that helps you make certain choices as an actor could you give specific scenes sun sun ain't yeah. gonna shine is a big one okay um underneath underneath the diner scene when frankie and Bob have the conversation, right? Frankie, this is your time. And then there's that break. And Sun Ain't Gonna I Shine anymore. I love that song. Oh, first of all, yeah, that song is incredible. And the just the melody, the, the, the haunting loss of that melody informs the rest of that scene and the monologue uh, where Frankie recites the lyrics leading into the scene before Bye Bye Baby um, is so informed. I... That's one of those moments where, as an actor, you don't have to do anything. It's done for you. All you have to do is say the words, be in the moment, and you don't have to put anything extra on top of it because what they've done is already so effective that you don't want to get in the way. Um, for me, that's one of the standout moments, one of the one of those Ron Melrose, you're brilliant, like, moments. Um, that's probably the my favorite piece of underscoring in the show. Uh but there, there are really smart choices all the way through, right? Like when Lorraine is packing uh, and finally leaving Frankie, what song is playing underneath? It's Dawn, mm-hmm. um, which is one, the first song that we see Lorraine right. in. Right, I afterwards, know. <laughs> which is yeah. something that slipped by me, I think, until I started working on the show. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I noticed it, but like, I need to do it on land. Please tell Richard Hester because I want like, to do the full <laughs> script too. Again, the show holds up. The, the truncated script, like they really did the work. And all of the beats are there, and the characters that you love are there, and, and it, it's the same show. 
but even just like little quips little lines that got cut here and there i want to do the full thing um the cool thing about about the ship is that they're willing to make adjustments as it goes um one of the things that we found frankie's final monologue when we first started doing it they had cut the but nick in that mind of his who knows uh it was just what was it um never made it tommy's party don't know why maybe maybe uh nick looked at me funny like i was acting too special or something that's what it was maybe nick looked at me funny like i was acting too special or something and now he's gone god rest him and people were convinced that we were talking about tommy that tommy had died and we were regretting not going to tommy's party um and so dan hope who was who who i shared the role with on the ship brought it up to richard when he came back on for the panama cruise was like listen can we put the but nikki in that mind of his who knows uh because people don't know who we're talking about and richard went oh yeah that's a problem yes put that line back in uh <laughs> yeah. so it's cool like there's still it's not like it's just this this is the ship version no. now like they're it's they're, not frozen exactly you're, you're working through it together exactly yeah. you have to there were things that you had to unlearn when you were in rehearsals for jersey boys um, oh yes could you please tell us some of those things like I'm trying to remember some of the specifics. I know that some of the intervals and phrasing in Moody's Mood for Love, uh, what's on the cast album, is not accurate to what's now in the show. I can't remember specifics. Fortunately, my, my music director did his job and drilled it out of me. So um, I could go back and find them. But even things like you listen to Cry For Me on the cast album and it's different from the way it's performed live. Uh, not from Frankie's end, but from Bobby's end. Um, there, there are things like that. Uh, it generally comes down to phrasings and certain intervals. Um, but even, I'm trying to remember now on the cast album... Um, in let's hang on right uh hang on hang on hang on to what we've got and i'm not sure if the ve is on the cast album or not i think he sings to what we got i remember it the oh former. that's so that's so niche let's see. wow <laughs> I'm, i could be wrong I, I could be very wrong let's 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 let's, let, let's, let's listen he says we does he say we or weave I didn't hear the V-E. Bum, bum, bum. Right. You listen to Tommy. Hey! <laughs> but we do. So, we, we sing that lyric earlier um, mm -hmm. in the very beginning. Uh, not the very beginning. There's the, the chorus before the verse. Um, you know what? We, di we dissected this whole thing with Ron, and I still have no fucking clue. <laughs> Come on. Well, because you get the album in your head, right? And then we could do a whole episode on the album. Yeah. But yeah, it's things like that and little little choices that he makes even in Can't Take My Eyes Off You that you have to unlearn uh, after you've listened to a cast album for 10 years before doing a show. Uh, and that's the case, honestly, for most shows. And it's why, as a music director, you're, you encourage your cast to not learn from the original recording because things will change. Um, things even even in American Idiot, the cast album was recorded before Broadway. It was recorded after Berkeley before Broadway. So there's things like SpongeBob. Like, oh, I didn't know that was the case for SpongeBob. 
Um, well, even like in, in 21 Guns, the chorus at the end only goes once in, as opposed to twice. Uh, there's the 3-4 bar in Last Sight on Earth that isn't on the cast album. So oh. it's like it's little things like that. We always hear that Frankie and Bob have final say over casting. That's what we always hear. Yeah, and that, that's that's something like you, you, you asked me what playing this role means to me. And the fact that Richard Hester and Danny Austin and the Dodgers put their faith in me is something that I will never be able to forget. But also that Frankie and Bob trusted that I would take their story and their lives and their music and do it the justice that it deserves. I mean, that's amazing. And and, and it's one of those things that you very rarely get to experience, that, that kind of incredible honor. Um, yeah. And, and it's a true testament to your talent. You know, it, it well, validates everything in a way. <laughs> it does. And... Yeah, like with what you were saying, like family is everything and timing is everything. And that's the thing about this show, too, is it really is a family. It really is. I'm still very close with Brian Hindle, who uh, works in Toronto on the show, who sets a lot of the choreography now when Danny can't do it. He set our choreography before Danny joined us on the ship. Um, you know, he, I, I feel so close to him and everybody who worked on this show. And as a little bit of a tangent, our closing night was kind of a testament to this you become a family thing the jersey boys family um the bob gaudio that i got to do the show with blair gibson incredible young actor and there's that scene right in the diner where where he says frankie this is your time uh how do you do that what get me to agree to stuff it's a gift and then they share that that second handshake of the show and then frankie goes off to be his solo act and he goes into the whole monologue with everybody knows your name. Our closing show was that that was such a surreal and and wonderful experience because Blair and I looked at each other in that last handshake and there was just this feeling of here we go. Like, you know, this this brotherhood that we developed uh that yes, you do develop in in all shows. You become a family, but it's Jersey Boys is so special in that way because he's he's my brother forever there's nothing else you like know? it um you jersey boy is, is it keeps you in check you know because of the dialogue and because of the bonds that you have to create mm -hmm. you know like you do it day in and day out you know like that's that's what brings everything yeah like it's it's a highly stylized show but it's also so real and so human um and it's just it's it's truly truly an honor to to be a part of it and and there are days that i don't feel like i was you know those days where you're like this isn't real this isn't this isn't my life um because it is so impactful and i really can boil it down to that moment with blair at the end of that scene where it was just so human um I love how that's the scene that clinched it for you. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that's it, awesome. it all, it all, it all meant the world to me. And, and I'm not, I told this to Richard and Danny as well, um, because I had, they asked me to do 4.0 and, and I turned it down because I had some stuff that I needed to see through on land. And I said, listen, if this were the tour, if this were off Broadway, I'd be in, 
but I can't, I, I can't go away for six months on a ship so soon. I have stuff that I need to see through here. Um, but I'm not done with this character. I'm not done with this show. There's so much more that I have to learn. There's so much more that I, that I want to experience with it. And, and you know, when, when you really think about it, because I was only doing two shows a week, and then Dan was doing two shows a week for six months, I did the show, what, 50 times? Mm-hmm. I still have so more. much to do. I have yeah. so much to do, and, and I hope I get the opportunity because there's there are so many layers to this show. I mean, you, you guys have explored it as much as anybody. There are so many layers. I'm not done. I'm, I'm not done. Um, and I am a... A little insight. I'm a notoriously stoic person. Uh, it gets me into trouble sometimes uh, when people want me to be more emotional as a human than than I let on. Um, but I'm notoriously stoic. I wept our closing night. I wept. Uh, I kept it together the entire show, uh, the entire finale, even Fallen Angel, uh, which can get a little dicey anyway because there's that's such a heavy sequence. Uh, but as soon as we left that stage and the band was playing the exit music. I just broke not for long, but I broke and then I got it together and I changed into my normal street clothes or whatever. And I went to go drink some champagne with the cast. And, and I gave uh, after the music director gave a speech, the theater operations manager gave a speech, stage manager gave a speech. I gave a speech uh, and I, I was basically just crying throughout the entire speech. There's a video of it somewhere, and I'm just crying the whole time uh, because, like, that's what this show means to me, and I think to all of us who who do it or watch it or, or study it, I th- it's just it's it's a rare thing. It's a really rare thing. Well, David and I, we think that this is the a great place to wrap I think up. This is a great place because. You can't get any, it doesn't get any better than that. It does. And th- thank you for like sharing <laughs> with us that, that you wept that night, you know, and yeah, that any show yeah, is going to do it to a stoic person of, of, on any level, it's Jersey Boys. You know, so that's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible piece that they've put together. Um, and even like, it's really cool because the ship version is it's an hour and 45 minute marathon, but Richard and Ron and the team that worked on it were so smart about it. The, the integrity of the piece is maintained without question, without question. You don't miss a thing. It's like Aerosmith. That's the next, that's the next story that has to be told. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for saying that. And thank you so much for being yeah. with us. I mean, we're going to have guys, like I said. Thank you, Evan. We're going to see you wait, on land. Waiting, Yeah, and we're going to see you on land in the show, and we're going to have you back for part two. This is going to be this is gonna be part one of, like, many parts. This is your time, Evan. This is <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And listen, from, from your lips to Richard Hester's ears, I need to do the show on land. I mean, like I said, the, the integrity main, is maintained. On, in, on the ship it really is but from a purely <laughs> selfish standpoint i want to say all of these lines and i want to live in this character as much as possible and i want to live through each extended beat and and explore it and, and say each 
quip or you know experience every single moment um so yeah i need to He's do it gonna on be there so i can do that selfish we're gonna we're, it's, it's gonna it's gonna happen mr hester you heard him you heard the man come on <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening this has been silhouettes jb podcast the deepest dive into jersey boys there ever was um, there ever is there ever, there ever is the holy ever trinity was. of jersey boys is this podcast thank you so much to anchor.fm for hosting us for distributing us for letting us do what we love to do um, remember to follow us on instagram at silhouettes jb podcast underscore um, remember to follow evan j newman and his group carol's kings a wonderful amazing tribute show to carol king three guys a bunch of amazing songs you already know how it is they have an amazing video that they released recently in quarantine of you got a friend right yeah, yeah um, that's right. check it out carol's kings at carol's kings and evan j newman um, silhouettes jb podcast underscore find us on facebook uh, silhouettes jb podcast and join our brand new still pretty brand new facebook group silhouettes jb podcast we want to have fun with you guys we want to discuss things with you guys am i forgetting it? oh uh listen to us wherever you can listen to podcasts um anchor spotify itunes leave us a review if you feel so inclined send us an email at silhouettesjbpodcast at gmail.com i hope you have a wonderful day a wonderful evening a wonderful night evan thank you so much for stopping by a salute